Hello, fellow movie lovers, and welcome to Cult Fiction, a podcast where we examine Hollywood's redheaded stepchildren. As a redheaded stepchild myself, I'm Stephanie Johnson. And I'm Andy Bowell. And today we are pulling back Hollywood's crypt to review Robert Rodriguez's vampire thriller From Dusk Till Dawn. Or from dawn till dusk, which is what I kept repeatedly typing and had to change every time. Oh, I love that. That's that's a different movie. I'm trying to figure out what what movie that would be about. <laughs> what what monster that would be? That's a bunch of vampires who are stuck in the place because uh, the sun, yeah. yeah, does what it does. <laughs> which spoiler alert. This is a vampire movie. Yet another vampire movie. <laughs> okay, Linda from Bob's Burgers. But you wouldn't know it. <laughs> but you wouldn't know it. Go on. Oh, no. I mean, I'm here for your singing solos. But truly, to finish my point, you wouldn't know it because the first, like, hour 15 is a very different movie. Yeah, not to get too ahead, but, like, one of my favorite things about this movie is that there is a a whole half of a movie we don't see. And it's like the first half of of this movie is the second half of that movie. Agreed. And there's an actual character in the movie who, when the movie movie makes the turn to vampire movie, literally looks at the screen and goes, what the fuck? Which is also what you did, I heard. (laughs) Yeah. Because I forgot it was a vampire movie. I love that. I love, love, love that. That you got so, like, into the gritty, like, serial killer bank robber crime drama. And then Salma Hayek's head turned into a snake. It was very, like, Conan the Barbarian when the... Mufasa's dad turns into the snake. So it had it had that same moment for me of just like not Mufasa's dad, Mufasa. When that character turns into a snake, it was just like that weird moment where you're just like what? What's happening? And we had to pause it because I was laughing so hard. Which is maybe the best recommendation of all. Um, you know, I want to, I want to recap the movie real quick, but before that, um, this is the third movie with a snake we've seen in it. And all three times you've actually come out fairly delighted. I'm very proud of you. Thank you. Just, you know, there's lots to overcome about this movie and the snake thing wasn't one of them. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, (laughs) in case you missed it. From Dusk Till Dawn it follows two brothers as they run from the law in order to cross the border and escape into Mexico. Seth and his rapist brother Richard kidnap an ex-pastor and his two children, but the five of them quickly realize that escaping America doesn't necessarily mean safety as they find themselves in a literal vampire den. A literal vampire den. <laughs> A literal vampire strip club, which is also 
technically like you find out at the very 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 end is like some aztec mayan ancient indigenous mexican temple (laughs) i am not gonna go into tarantino being an appropriative bastard i don't feel like touching that I mean, that's fair because that's probably a whole podcast's worth of conversation in and of itself. (laughs) I I don't know if this is better or worse. The only thing I can say is Robert Rodriguez is a natural born Mexican citizen. So. And the only reason he ended up directing it was that Tarantino straight up decided he wanted to focus on his role. Oh, I did not know that at all. Okay. Oh yeah. That's why when I, I, when we were talking about this before and I was saying that it's a Tarantino movie, I dare you to name a Tarantino movie that did age well. Cause spoiler alert for later, eh. it didn't. Eh. And, and you wrote, or you said, well, this, this doesn't change your point, but um, actually, for accuracy, it's a Rodriguez movie. He directed it. <laughs> and you were being in an entire jerk-off motion of a person. And I was like, well, here's the thing, though. A lot of things are making sense and coming, um, coming clear in my mind. I also just straight up forgot slash didn't pay attention to the fact that Tarantino... Uh, wrote the screenplay. So that kind of um, totally validates your point. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Because it, I mean, I I do want to start here because we've danced around the point. This obviously hasn't aged well. Social justice, one, two, three. I want to be PC. It's just the way to be for me and you. No, there's, I mean, just about everything. There's, there's violence against women. There's uses of the R word. There's stereotypical depictions of people of Latin descent. Where do you want to start? God, the whole overwhelming boatload of sexism and creepiness just feels too easy to start with. Let's talk about the um, the heavy-handed like racism towards Ernest Liu's character. Yeah, okay, because I like I read that, and we have and I, you and I haven't talked about this behind the camera. I gotta say, when you look at the array of non-white roles and actors in this film, you've got a bunch of Mexican vampires. You've got a very creepy perverted Mexican border guard. Yeah. You've got a African-American Vietnam vet who like is, is pretty much okay. And then you've got Ernest Liu as Scott and and I I I don't know. I miss the racism, so I, I want to discuss that. Oh, um, there is a line where um, Seth and Richie break into um, the their hotel room. Family, 
Yes, thank you for, yes. <clears throat> there is a scene where Seth and Richie break into their hotel room, the family, and Seth says something like, he's your son, how does that work? You don't look, you don't look Japanese. And the pastor literally has to say, well, neither does he, he's Chinese. And there is like that decades old battle of like white people assuming the the country of origin of Asian people and just assuming they know everything. Mm, okay. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a, there's a lot of other like small microaggressions against Ernest Liu's character. Gotcha. Okay. Well, huh. I need to I need to maybe rewatch the movie and and be a little better about that my own self then. You know, I I figured absolutely you were right. I just didn't know what they were off the top of my head. And <laughs> I I think when you compare to all the characters Cheech Marin plays or Danny Trejo's yeah. bartender um or you know any of the 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 gaggle of women of color who you know are strippers at the end i i think i was sitting here kind of being like it, it's it's better than that but not necessarily an excuse better than i mean i was gonna say you know we're starting small and working our way up because you know it it's so weird that there is like a betting range in this movie for like it starts racist and then it gets worse welcome to slavery no thanks i already had a wife which sounds like a bad john mulaney bit well okay real real quick i i want to i want to just ask you this real quick is this the first campy schlocky obviously not meant to be taken seriously bad movie that we've actually enjoyed or did you not actually enjoy I, it no i i did and i hate that i like it but i liked it a lot <laughs> okay fair <laughs> i just wanted to get that out of the way before we then continue to like you know deservedly and rightfully call this movie out on its bullshit Oh, absolutely. But yes, no, it was enjoyable. Like, no, it didn't age well. Yes, it's terrible. Yes, there's a lot wrong. Yes, Tarantino is an awful man. Um, yes, he looks like a wet ham had a child with a bald big potato. Accurate. But it's also really fun. It's very fun. It's very stuck in the 90s. Um you know, in terms of so so moving on the the first five minutes of the film, the the liquor store scene, you know, you open with these two Texas rednecks complaining that a guy they know who works at a fast food store, you know, is a person with unnamed mental deficiencies. They go unnamed mm. because in its place he's called a mongoloid and worse. Um, it's, it, it, it certainly hasn't aged well. The only thing is I feel like that part, probably they never thought it was going to age well in the first place. Mm -hmm. Like the, the first 10 minutes of this movie really feel like a hate letter to rural Texas. Yeah. And I know Tarantino is known for his 
very much like, ooh, look at me, I'm being so bad. Look at how bad I can be. <laughs> now I just want to watch an, an, uh, another Tarantino movie. Like, I want to, I want you to watch Kill Bill and then tell me how much you hate it. <laughs> oh, yeah, we could make a whole other podcast of me just watching Tarantino movies and being like, I hate it. I'm here for the side project. <laughs> But yeah, so like there's there's stuff that I think was intentional and and was supposed to be a lot more tongue in cheek, you know, for for what it's worth, both of those characters meet grisly and violent ends, perhaps more violent than they deserve. <laughs> sure. And then you do get to, you know, I I mentioned it all of the incredibly like there is not a single good depiction of a Mexican person in this film for, for yeah. one of the key aspects of the plot to be that they need to hop the border into Mexico and hang out in a Mexican strip club. There is no good Mexican character because all but yeah. like three of them are vampires to boot. Yeah. Which is why it's really, I, I mean, I guess Robert Rodriguez can absolutely make his own point about his own people. God knows I have opinions about white people for sure. Um, but it it does feel a little weird that it's like, you know you were being racist towards yourself, right? Like, and to your point, weird. And to your point, you know, Rodriguez directed it, but I completely, like, I'm, I'm embarrassed to admit that I didn't remember that Quentin Tarantino and other not Latin man, Robert Kurtzman, who is a, a brilliant special effects person. And I can see why he was also on the writing team, but like two white dudes wrote this movie. Oh, very, very much. Um, and it's still really fucking fun. It is. Okay. It, it absolutely is. Um, you know, I, I want to talk about the first half a little bit first. I want to, you know, talk about the pre titty twister half of the movie, uh, because mm -hmm. it, it really is a very well crafted, just fun crime drama. And like, there are, there are things that they do with the pacing and the story and the actual construction of the film, all those things that people who listen to this podcast will know that I just, it wins me over. Absolutely. I adore it. You know, to Tarantino's point, having the movie start with like a three minute exchange about how bad these two criminals are. And then you find out they are hiding in the liquor store and just the way they do it with having the sheriff go to the bathroom and then Seth and Richie come out of the shadows with their hostages. Like that's, that's such a fun way to introduce our protagonists of the film. Now, there's, there's so much there. The camera work is really excellent. Um, you know, we, we can talk about uh, Gloria, poor hostage bank teller, Gloria. Mm-hmm. There, you know, what happens in the movie tour is awful, of course, but there's so much that happens in the movie that is brilliant. There's there's brilliant framing. There's brilliant camera work, um, you know, especially 
after glory gets got the sequence where, and they only do it the one time, the sequence where it flash cuts to just gore and the bed and you never actually see what the hell did Richie do to Gloria? But it's implied. It's implied, and you just know it was horrific and awful. And I actually really appreciate that use, uh, that tactic, because it's it's such a, like, it implies violence, it implies gore, but it's not an over-soaking of it. Yeah. Because we get an over-soaking of it later. When there's fucking vampires. Right. And and by not visually reveling in it, like that is the most chilling part of the movie by yeah. far. And it makes her death different than all of the death and all of the gore that happens later. Absolutely. And and you know that part I do hang on Rodriguez cuz that's not just what's on the page. That's okay. How do we make this thing compelling? Um mm. you know, this wasn't his first movie, but this was very early in his career and he was still kind of making a name for himself before becoming, you know, a real big uh genre kind of director. And I just I do appreciate you know, like I said, I didn't know the story about uh, Tarantino was just bored and, and wanted to focus on acting instead. But like the fact that he did this is just so fun to me. And also, God, I, I don't know where my head's been returning to cult fiction, Robert Rodriguez, because he also directed <laughs> The Faculty. Yeah. So this is our second look at a movie of his. And I think... Of the two, this is the one that feels more what Robert Rodriguez is typically known for. Absolutely, yeah. Just hands, like, from effects to camera work to bizarre, random, okay, this is happening now, might as well have a bar full of vampires. Okay, you know what I didn't notice? And that... Alex had to point out to me later. What's that? I know that we're talking about the first chunk of the movie, but I will bring this up later when we're talking about well, the second chunk we, of the movie. We can, <laughs> I mean, we can absolutely move on to the strip club. I mean, did before that, did you want to talk about um, Harvey Keitel and Juliette Lewis and like our, our, our hapless Christian missionary family at all? Yes. Yes. I feel like Juliette Lewis just got cast because she was friends with Robert Rodriguez. I mean, almost assuredly. I mean, like, I don't want to be that person who's like, oh, the girl did a bad job. But the girl did a bad job. Did the girl do a bad job or did the two old white men, one of whom is an infamous fetishistic bit of a bastard just not have anything good to write for the heroine character you know what yes i'm sorry let me not be a gender traitor that's absolutely 100 percent what it is it's like none of her writing is good 
None of her writing is good. And she has, like, these shitty, shitty lines that don't make sense and are out of nowhere. Like, she's a fully grown woman sitting in a diner and calling her dad, Daddy. Like, no grown woman does that, y'all. Um, No, and, oh, God, there's just no good way to take that, is there? Because either she's of a young enough age where that's more appropriate and that makes several things that you see in the movie later grossly inappropriate or she is an adult woman and is just boiled down to fetishistic milk toast heroin yeah yeah and it it made me like the this is so sick but the only part of the movie where i was actually interested in her acting was when Richie has his fantasy and delusion about her asking mm-hmm. him to eat her pussy. Right. Like, that's the only part where she had any, like, fizzle in her because it was something that you didn't expect the character to do. Right. You know, to that point, when we stopped recording the last episode, you know, I told you uh, that was one of the few things I remember just as sort of this you know, does the dog die? Hey, I want you to know this is in the movie, but it's like one of the only things about her character that I remembered is that she asks him to do that. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, it's that and the end scene where she makes a really surprising choice, but which we will get to later, but until then she's very basic and Ernest Lou's character is very, very basic and the pastor is the only one that i have any emotional connection to right absolutely because you know it's it's harvey Keitel playing a man of broken faith and you know person who lost their faith has to fight the forces of darkness is just a a very easy fun rootable character type and harvey Keitel's excellent in just about anything So, you know, there's that aspect of it, too. But he's absolutely the most interesting of the Fuller family. Absolutely. And then we have... So we've talked about Richie. Can we talk about Seth? Uh, Please, yeah. I'm absolutely here to talk about the Gecko Brothers. I think they are... Even as bad as Richie Gecko is, I think the Gecko Brothers are fun as hell to watch on TV. Oh, my God. Seth was... The ultimate description of, like, I don't want to root for this guy, but in the end you are. He's still dirtbag scum of the earth, but he's ridiculously charming, and I think that's purposeful. So I find their casting of George Clooney very perfect. (laughs) I also love George Clooney's stupid little refrain of, like, okay, this, let's go this. So, like, okay, ramblers, let's ramble. Or, okay, hard drinkers, let's drink hard. Okay, ramblers, let's get rambling. It's very charming and cute. It's incredibly charming. It's, he he becomes such a fun anti-hero. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, 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 by and large, don't like George Clooney in a lot of things. I think this is probably my favorite Clooney role. And part of it is because Seth Gecko in almost any other movie is a villain and is, mm-hmm. you know, he, he is a Tarantino esque, gross, disgusting scumbag. 
now there's so much in this movie that makes him good by comparison. He is not a serial rapist murderer. He is not Mm -hmm. dangerously psychotic. Like Richie very clearly is from the word go. And he's not a vampire, but I just like in, in the movie in my head that ends when they cross the border into Mexico, like Mm -hmm. Southern Richie are the bad guys black and white they are these awful murdering hell follows them in their wake criminal scumbags and it's george clooney it's it's george clooney at the height of his fresh powers like just cast on er america's heartthrob and he's he's doing all this stuff against type because he like doesn't want to get boxed into being the charming doctor guy that's one of my my favorite things about this oh absolutely but he still can't stop the fact that he is a darling smile and he's really swaggery and cute so in the end you end up being like yeah george clooney kill all the vampires kill all the vampires and and in the end he he kind of does the most noble thing he can do by rejecting kate And by being like, I'm going to some criminal paradise. You're not going to belong there. Yeah. Despite how hardened you think you are, kid, you're not. I'm not going to take you there. And I'm, I don't know if it's just me projecting, but there was like this sexual tension from her of like, well, I'm already fucking ruined. I might as well be your girl now. Maybe I'm just forcing that, but I, think, I was like, I think that's there. I, I think it's a, hey, everybody, um, everybody I know and care about is dead, and you and I just survived some shit together. So, are you feeling this? And Seth Gecko was like, I'm not feeling this. Or if I am, I'm gonna do the kindest thing I could do to you and reject you right now. Exactly, because yikes. Oh my god, but is, then that, it is also... that the Casablanca thing? Do they have a Casablanca oh moment? God. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. Yes, it's here's looking at you, kid. We'll always have the titty twister. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh, we we don't actually ever make shirts, but if we get popular enough to, that's the new shirt. <laughs> I love Fuck that. Fuck you, Tetsuo Kusakabe. It's this now. <laughs> this is the the we've made it two years um, merchandise pitch I'm here for. This and Carl's Jr. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I also need to tell you that on the TV version of this movie... It doesn't say titty twister. It they like digitally edited it to say something else. I think it's like city twister. Oh, or some other dumb word. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean I, I get it. I'm Yeah, you could play this on American television where violence and nudity are flip flopped, absolutely. <laughs> you cut out I almost spat took red wine. <laughs> <laughs> But on the note of me choking on red wine, as per usual, that's typically when we talk about vampires. Can we talk about vampires now? Can we talk about vampires? We can absolutely talk about vampires. Okay. There is a guitar made out of a body. 
and I hate it. It is one of the things I hate maybe the most in this entire movie. So let's, yeah, let's, let's lay the table. Let's set the scene. We get to the titty twister. We have yes. a very dirty looking Cheech Marin giving a frankly amazing monologue about pussy. <laughs> Which you know, uh, for, for you Florida theater kids out there, you know some kid did it to Strix, or at least fucking tried to. Some kid tried, and then he heard that, like, you it, no, it's got to be from a play, and then he convinced his drama teacher to let him do it for class, and just tried his best to do this monologue where you list all the different kinds of pussy your strip club has, but this kid was not Cheech Marin and therefore it probably wasn't as compellingly entertaining. But Cheech Marin did it and he did it good. Cheech Marin did a very fun job. He, he clearly was having a lot of fun with this movie. Danny Trejo, um, you know, a young Danny Trejo, which is weird to see, oh. but no less ripped. So yeah, you, you, we we're introduced to the strip club with its its you know dancing ladies of all kinds. I, I at first I was like paying attention to the strippers just to see because for a second I was sitting here being like, are all the white strippers clothed? Are th- did this movie go that racist? And then I was like, oh no, okay, just <laughs> there sure there are. Sure, that's why you were paying attention to the strippers. Well, because there's there's boobs. There's there's boobs all over the non-TV version. Um, and I'm sitting there being like, okay, yeah, boobs, boobs, boobs. I see boobs. Hey, that one's wearing clothes. Hey, that one's wearing clothes. Hey, they're both white. None of the non-white strippers are wearing clothes as best I can tell. This is racist as hell. And then I saw some non-white strippers wearing clothes. And then they all turned into vampires, so... Which is a very good synopsis of this movie. That's basically how it happens. You, you, yeah, so... Oh, go ahead. You get the, the pinnacle floor show of Salma Hayek's Santanica Pandemonium. Um, you, you get the incredibly uh, graphic foot fetish quentin tarantino fan service which now knowing that he wrote the movie like that's just fucking creepo this man Mm -hmm. put in multiple scenes in which his foot fetish is satiated on camera but i digress you you have selma hayek pouring wine off her foot into quentin tarantino's mouth and then she turns into a snake monster and shit goes down but not before he's gotten his in, you know? Oh, well, yeah, of course. He's the writer. He's, <laughs> he's Quentin goddamn Tarantino, which is, I'm sure, what he was telling himself. Oh, <laughs> But I do love this weird Mexican strip club version of Buffy. It is very good. That's what it becomes. Like, I even told you we were we didn't watch this together and we were like, we watched it at the same time though. We were off by like 10 minutes. And so you you were like, what part are you at? And I'm like, Oh, they're all vamping out. You know what everybody says about me? huh? I suck. (laughs) (laughs) And they, this 
vampire scene has very similar pacing to the latter half of Jurassic Park. Um, How so? And ve- well, like so, in the sense that, like, okay, there, it's not the sudden left turn that from dusk till dawn is, but it's like, oh yeah, there's dinosaurs. Yes, there are dinosaurs. Yes, they're alive. It's nice. Left turn that we have no control over them. And then the last, like, 45 minutes is, holy fuck, we can't get away from these dinosaurs. Okay. And so, like, Kate's journey and Lex's journey, I feel very similarly plot against a Y-axis where, one, they should start a support group together of, like, hey, my... Uh, childhood was extremely traumatic and I got ripped away from people that I loved because something happened. Um, but also the pacing is just really similar of like, tension is building and tension is building and holy shit, we have to, we thought we fixed it this way, now we have to fix it this way and we have to do this last resort and people are coming out from the woodwork, in that case dinosaurs. That you didn't expect. That's my that's my film paper. The comparative analysis of Kate and Lex. I'm so here for it. So <laughs> and you're very kind. Incredibly here for it. You're very kind to indulge me. <laughs> to your point, so you know we everybody turns into a vampire, and mm. the characters we care about suddenly get very good at killing vampires. So, you know, everybody we knew plus frost and sex machine, just all of a sudden just start killing everybody. They kill Santana, Santanico pandemonium. They kill Cheech Marin. They kill Danny Trejo. They kill everybody. And I'm sitting here like, I've seen this before. I've seen this before. What, where did the other vampires come from? I don't remember this. And then you hear the bats. Yeah. And this movie does so many things that I really appreciate in like, you basically you can sub out vampires for zombies, I think in this movie. Yeah. Uh, But they have the conversation where they have a moment to breathe and they're like, okay, what do we know? What do we know about these vampires? How can we kill them? We can do this, this, and this. These things work. That thing work. Okay, good. Party. We know what we know now. And, you know, they also have the conversation at the end where Jacob, you know, gets bit. And again, it's zombie rules, but for vampires. Um, And, you know, has the scene where he's like, promise you'll kill me. No, I don't give a shit. Promise you'll kill me or I will solve your problem for you right now. So I very much enjoyed that aspect of it. Yeah, absolutely. And down to the fact that they are all suddenly very, when you say they're all suddenly very good at it, I appreciate that point, but it's also that they draw upon their knowledge of lore mm-hmm. of vampires. And so the the fairy tale lover in me, the person who's like, okay, these stories have this rule that's very good because they're walking around being like okay what do we know we know that vampires can get killed with wooden stakes and garlic crosses okay what do we have yeah just figuring out like it it, it goes 
I, I see your point and I appreciate that. And it goes a step beyond that with, you know, being like, okay, these things take a punch really easily, like shockingly easily. I think we can just like knock their heads off if we do this correctly. Um, mm-hmm. And they just, they spend so much time for, for as randomly as all of a sudden it's just carnage and blood and chaos and a bass guitar made out of body parts, which I still hate. Um, they do. I love it so much. That, that and the rat thing, which we'll talk about in a second, that and the rat thing are, are, are my least favorite things, but I do really appreciate how our survivors just kind of on a dime work together and are able to at least try to come together before the thing that always happens in a zombie movie happens. And Tom Savini sex machine doesn't tell people he's been bit until it's too late. Yeah. And he turns, Oh no, he turns and there's a, there, there are fun moments of comedy. I gotta say, and he's involved with most of them. Um, mm-hmm. But the moment where he realizes he's turning into a vampire and like tries to cover his teeth and then his ears and then you don't see him until you see his creepy spidery fingers like grab Fred Williamson. Like it's very well done, you know. Um, it's good. Want to get it out of the way. This is one of Tom Savini's only acting roles because he is most well known for a special effects guy. Um along with Robert Kurtzman, who helped write the movie and Greg Nicotero, who is the guy who like pulls a switchblade on Tom Savini. They are special effects Titans and their work in this movie is really the, the star of the show, especially the back half of the film. And I really like that Savini got to actually act and take part in this project in a little bit of a different way right up until the point where his body explodes and becomes a vampire rat monster. (laughs) Which shall we talk about that then? Yeah, let's go ahead and talk about it. Um, I hate it. I hate it. Stephanie, Uh Stephanie, Stephanie. Hey, Stephanie, Stephanie. Hey, I hate it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Andy, you hate it. I absolutely despise that thing. It is so gross and disgusting and doesn't make any sense. Like, why aren't all the vampires doing that? It's Chinatown, I guess. I don't know. Um, (laughs) I will say it's kind of the closest thing we get to a boss monster. Yeah. Like, if there's one massive nitpick I do have with the end of this movie, it's we don't really get that. For as much as Salma Hayek's character is built up, for as much as Santanico Pandemonium is, like, made to be a thing, like, she's got a prequel about her, she has a much bigger role in the TV show, which I'm never gonna watch, um, (laughs) she kind of just goes out like nothing, like, you know, George Clooney shoots a chandelier onto her. And she just dies. And I get that you probably only add Salma Hayek for a weekend, especially after um, she was made to do the things that she was made to do for this role. Yeah. But even Beowulf had a boss fight. It wasn't a good boss fight, but it was a boss fight. Well, and you keep using like 
video game language. Fun fact, this has a video game randomly. I can see that. Yeah, this this feels very appropriate for that that late 90s let's make a video game out of anything we can kind of vibe. Tomb Raider with triangle boobs yeah. situation. <laughs> oh my god. Is there anything else you want to cover before we move on to our ending segments? Um I I you know, I talked about Tom Savini Talked about Sex Machine. I want to give an equal uh, shout out and a bit of fan service to Fred Williamson. Um, you know, he was the other complete ass kicker, uh, Frost. And that dude was just so much fun. Like, I don't think I've seen a lot of other work that he's done, but every line he actually had was just a joy. Like the moment where I think it's Danny Trejo, Danny Trejo is going to go eat somebody. And Fred Williamson like taps them on the shoulder and is like, anything you can say to him, say to me. And then just kills Danny Trejo. (laughs) Danny Trejo, you deserve so much better. You beautiful, beautiful man. He is very much your type, isn't he? (laughs) Weird looking and grumpy. Yes. That's very much my type. I was going to say jacked with dark hair, but okay, go off. Uh, I just love his face. You could like light a match on it and he's so weird and I like it. There's nothing wrong uh, with that. There are a lot weirder crushes you could have than Danny friggin' Trejo. <laughs> um, now's not my time for me to disclose my thoughts about Steve Buscemi. Oh, I love Steve Buscemi. I don't think I could ever be attracted to him, but I'm not mad about that. Oh, no, I'm not attracted to him at all. I just want to know what he's like in bed. Like, that's it. That's it. I'd imagine generous. Why? Because it, it, it's not because of what you might think, listener. It is not because Steve Buscemi is a unconventionally attractive person. It's because Steve Buscemi is a goddamn hero and a good person and one of the best people in Hollywood. And, oh, is he? I didn't know that. Oh, this this dude like was a first responder in 9-11 because he used to be a firefighter before he was an actor. And so like flew out from California the next day to go like help. Steve Buscemi is Wait, a goddamn what? hero <laughs> and he deserves all what? the accolades. That's incredibly lovely. I did not know that. Yeah. Well, there you go. Uh, I'm so glad we took this random tour of uh, of adoration. Okay. I am too. Um, you know what else we adore? Kevin Bacon? Kevin Bacon. I don't know if Kevin Bacon flew from California to go help search the rubble of, of the World Trade Center, and I'm not going to look it up because I've done an awkward transition. <laughs> That's okay. Um, Would you like to go first? I'd actually like you to go first, and I'll explain why after. Why, sure. I am happy to go first. If you will give me one moment. All right. Why, sure. I'm happy to go first. Kelly Preston, who was our TV reporter in this movie, was in Death Sentence with Kevin Bacon. Excellent. And so you got it in one. 
applause, applause, fireworks, fireworks, you won. Okay. I don't know who Kelly Preston is. So, not knowing who she is, it didn't occur to me to try and search that out in that way. Um, so I'll take the L, but I'm still proud of what I got. Um, you know, talking about your your one of your crushes in the movie, Danny Trejo. Danny Trejo was in Predators with Lawrence Fishburne, and Lawrence Fishburne was in Mystic River with Kevin Bacon. Nice. Yeah. I'm not mad about it. <laughs> no, but Kelly Preston, honey? She's I do not know who this she, is. Well, she just died. And she's John Travolta's wife. Oh, that's not great oh she like yeah okay she died a year ago well i feel foolish (laughs) for not the first time in this episode (laughs) i i i adore you and the moment you were like well i don't know who that is i was like i don't um hmm I'll let him have his moment that he's very excited about his bacon first. I appreciate that. (laughs) You know what else we appreciate? What? The fact that this movie is super cold. Yes. Yes, it is. Thank you. I completely jumped over that part of the show that we do the thing, which is damn near inexcusable (laughs) after 49 episodes. Um, I'm going to blame it on the break we just took to celebrate our uh, our anniversaries. But yes, uh, tell me about why this movie is called, in your opinion. Okay, it super didn't make any money. Any money. It made like a few thousand more than it budgeted. It won no awards. And it has two of the most cult names in the business associated with it. Yeah, absolutely. So like... This movie is irretrievably cult. Like, I can't make an argument that it's not. No, and, like, this is one of those movies. This is a movie that, like, fans of Toxic Avenger, when they were kids, you know, this came out right around the time those kids were, like, you know, in their early 20s and became just this next step in this silly goofy you know we talked about it this is a a schlocky silly splatter like this is a a grindhouse kind of film Mm -hmm. and i think all of those things all of those inaccessibilities um just always make something more quote than not or more uh always make something more cult than not yup so with that said, speaking of cult movies, you know what they don't win? You, you mentioned it uh, from Dust Till Dawn didn't win any Oscars, which is a damn shame because if, if nothing else, I think it deserves a shout out for special effects. Um, you know, every episode of Cult Fiction, we graciously give movies the Oscars that they deserve, even if the Academy doesn't award them. And so I would love to know what your Oscar from Dusk Till Dawn is. I would like to give the Oscar to Selma Hayek for highest dedication. 
<laughs> Fucking deservedly so. Tell me more. <laughs> so Selma Hayek has an overwhelming fear of snakes. And so she was offered this role and at first agreed and then read the script and went, oh, no, 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 no. I have a huge fear of snakes. And Robert Rodriguez, being a bit of an asshole, goes, oh, it's fine. I'll just have Madonna do it. She has no problem with snakes. And so Selma Hayek, not to be outdone, goes into fucking exposure therapy so that she can wear a snake around her neck. Wear a snake around her neck while wearing next to nothing. Yep. While... <laughs> while having Quentin Tarantino suck on her big toe. Like, yep. for all of the reasons. I love Selma yep. Hayek. Selma Hayek is a goddamn national treasure. And I think for all the reasons you can count, she absolutely deserves praise and accolade and an Oscar for this movie. I'm totally on board. And also real quick, desperately seeking Susan came out nine years before, or no, 11 years before this movie. There's no goddamn way they were getting Madonna. I think it was truly, honestly, Andy, I don't even think Robert Rodriguez was ever going to get Madonna. I think it was honestly him being a dick and being like, hey, you're a woman of Mexican-American descent. You have an inherent uh, weak spot that I know you have where you always think white women are more beautiful. I'm going to say that you're not good enough for this role and trick you into doing a thing you're vastly uncomfortable with doing by saying the American western ideal of beauty of madonna is gonna do it and she'll be fine yeah that's gross yup boo on robert rodriguez absolute cheers and applause to salma hayek yeah she's amazing (laughs) go away lemon don't you have a slinket somewhere you could be filling with your farts (laughs) <laughs> oh i need to watch, rewatch 30 rock speaking of a lot of people we've brought up today <laughs> perfect well the other thing that i wanted to really talk about and highlight um you know my oscar for from dusk till dawn is a little bit of a gag but i i truly mean it i would like to give the oscar for best cod piece to sex machine aka tom savini <laughs> for his His brilliant his brilliant dick revolver (laughs) where each of the nuts is like its own six shooter barrel and he's got the very phallic you know penis gun barrel which he uses in the movie to kill vampires it's so good that moment where it you know it's featured prominently greg nicotero pulls a switchblade on tom savini and tom savini just like scoots his chair back and gets a gun erection and (laughs) looks looks at greg nicotero like you don't want none of this and greg nicotero's like you're right i super don't it is maybe the most iconic thing in this movie to me is the dick pistol it is fun it is brilliant it it encapsulates this movie 
because it is yeah. stupid and badass and ridiculous and awesome. <laughs> Perfect. Just I like absolutely from Death love Till that. Dawn. Absolutely. <laughs> well, let's see if we'll absolutely love our next movie. We can only hope, you know, um, not all the movies have an actual crypt. This one did. So that was kind of fun. And we're going to turn back to that crypt, um, AKA the random number generator and our list of 291 movies. Woo! And out of the 291 movies, we will be watching number... 21 and number oh, no. number 21 oh hell yeah <laughs> oh no it's not an anaconda is it's it? not anaconda speaking okay. speaking of ridiculous and awesome also coming out in 1996 number 21 is the tim burton sci-fi action horror comedy mars attacks <laughs> Okay. This is one of the All very first right. movies I can ever remember watching. Probably because it scared the shit out of me as a four-year-old. I remember seeing the trailer and being fucking terrified. This movie is absolutely like scary for little kids because scary brain aliens. But like, it, have you seen it since? Have you seen it as an adult? I, I've never seen it, period. Oh, you're going to like this movie. It's fucking stupid in the best way. Well, it's got Jack Nicholson, Pierce Brosnan, and Glenn Close. So I'm very happy. It's Tim Burton before he, like, became the joke Tim Burton, if that makes sense. Oh, no, it totally makes sense. Like, and this is available on Prime Video for those who are interested. Fantastic. I'm very excited. Well, that's all for this edition of Cult Fiction. If you want to keep up, you can follow us on Twitter at Cult Fiction Cast. You can also follow, rate, and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll close the crypt for now. But join us next time when... Eh, 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 eh. As we watch Mars Attacks. The fuck was that? That's the sound the aliens make. That is the alien language. I hate it. Yay. (laughs) For Stephanie Johnson, I've been Andy Bowell.